Hey, good day, everybody. I am Connor McIver, Connor with Honor. Today I have Aiden McIver with Augusta Financial. I want to ask him a couple questions regarding what's the best first steps of somebody that wants to buy a house with regard need to needing a mortgage or wanting to get a loan. Good morning. Hey, good morning. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're more than welcome. I wanted to ask you, just like I said in the intro, people have a lot of questions regarding loans, but as far as that, those first steps that the consumer needs to obey or needs to do, what do you recommend? What's the first thing well, you say, would Well, I'd say um, each lender is unique in kind of um, what their starting process is. I know lenders who won't quote any numbers to a client unless they already have financial information. I know lenders that will quote those numbers and tell them what the payments would look like. So ultimately, what your beginning process is going to look like will be slightly different. Um, I'd say with me, though, uh, normally how it will pan out is, um, so let's say I have an interested buyer, someone who is looking to get pre-approved. Uh, they'll give me a call or I'll give them a call we get on the phone. Um, and, you know, we'll basically just, we'll, we'll talk it out. So I'll ask them, you know, what are your intentions right now? You're looking to buy or refinance. What are you looking to do exactly? Have you guys, have you thought about a loan program that maybe you've researched? You know, exactly like how much research have you done? What do you know? What do you not know? What do you need to know? Uh, so I kind of just fill them in, you know, with the general process of everything. Um, and then we go down to the numbers. So I go, well, do you have an idea of maybe what prices you want to look at or where you want to qualify at? And so I'll try to get some basic income information and information regarding their credit, uh, their general monthly debt obligations, and so forth. And I'll put that information together to get kind of a general estimate of what they would qualify for based on rates uh, the day that I'm speaking to them. So uh, after I do that, I go ahead and hang up on the phone after we're done speaking. I prepare an email listing off all the options that are um, present for them as far as the purchase points maybe that they discussed, um, and then uh, send those off to them. And uh, in addition to that, I'll also send a portal link over, which is going to have a uh, basically an online system, like our portal, that you can complete a loan application on and upload loan documentation to uh, for the pre-approval. And then also in the email will be the list of the documents that we will need for the pre-approval. Are there still uh, lenders out there that are pre-qual actually doing some kind of a pre-qualification process without actually looking at any real paperwork, like writing approval letters that might not be worth the paper they're written on? Because I remember back in the day that seemed to be kind of an issue. Do you hear of that happening? You know, I think. Um, if it is happening, I wouldn't know about it just because no one would ever probably admit that. Um, <laughs> but you know, I would, I would say that you know it's it's common. I think the the harder part is, uh, it's not as easy to just write a pre-approval. Um, like you, if you can write, they can write a letter and include that in an offer. Uh, but a pre-approval is also still something that like we have to kind of produce through a system. Either what we use at least is desktop underwriter. Oh. So that generates a pre-approval for us so that we can then send that letter and basically get validated to send that letter. Oh, and that's backed up by the work that you've done on the file yeah. or the, all oh, the information you've The, the loan application, yeah. Oh, that's the very interesting. The information you submitted, the, uh, the credit report that you pulled and uploaded um, or imported. Uh, so that that all has an impact as far as the actual pre-approval. So what what would a this is great information. What would a consumer ask for a potential borrower ask for to make sure that lender is up to speed on something like desktop underwriter or a program like that? Or how would they know that they're dealing with somebody that's you know I culpable? Think, I think ultimately um, it's any person can just talk. You know. 
how up to date are you with desktop underwriter? Oh, well, we don't really use that system. It's a little outdated. We use our own. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, I feel like anyone can talk your way out of it. So I think ultimately, if you want to know if you're working with someone that knows what they're doing, um, I always recommend ask a bunch of realtors um, what their opinions are as far as the lending institution that person is associated with. Go on Google, see you know if there is a Yelp page, look at the reviews. You know, get it. You know, just the same way you would rate any other service. Do it that way because I think ultimately, if you um, if if you just try to go with basically talking to the service provider, there's a chance that you might get you know a lot of a lot of lies and a lot of deceit and not exactly what you intended to get out of that conversation. And then also there's on the other half, you may get exactly what you want. But I think it's important to still research a service provider. The first parts of the the first parts of the process after you get done explaining the different programs out there, uh, does it then, do you then sit down with the client and maybe more customize what they're looking for? It seems that most people have a more broad desire. Most people don't have a very specific plan when they're, like especially with a first time buyer, they don't really have like a, I mean they have a dream home in mind, they just know that they're not in a position to buy a dream home. So now it's like my starter home. So from that angle where I kind of go is, and, and this is kind of how I think of it is, recently, uh, I'm sure you've heard of an adjustable rate mortgage, um, the angle that I've been working with first-time buyers as far as maybe a more specific plan would be, I ask them, I say, okay, you're, you know, you're 20, you're 21, 22, you know, mid-20s, mid right? Uh, you're not, you're not going to be retiring, I imagine, the next 10 years. So more than likely, you're going to want to move eventually between now and when you're 35 if you're 25. So that's 10 years. It gives you 10 years to sell and move. So I say, if you don't plan on keeping this house forever, or maybe you plan on renting it out in the future, uh, why not get an adjustable rate mortgage? Uh, because the interest rate for the locked period, so let's say we look at a 10-6 on. So a 10-6 adjustable rate mortgage basically means that it's going to be a, have a fixed interest rate for 10 years, and then after that 10-year period is over, it's going to auto-adjust every six months to a specific index. The LIBOR or what's the other index? One's the LIBOR index. Do you remember? Uh, there's it, oh, it's more. SOFR. Oh, there's there's, there's more. Yeah, than. there's several different. Ends. I know oh, the one okay. that we use is is uh, acronym SOFR. I was trying to show off and no, it didn't work. Don't worry. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> but uh, so you know, uh, I what I'll basically tell the borrower though is yeah, I mean if you if you don't plan on spending you know the rest of your life in this townhome basically, mm -hmm. then get a 10-6 because you're going to be paying it with a heavily reduced rate for basically the entirety you own the house, the entire so, time you own the house. So here's here's a little bit of devil's advocate here. Um, the last foreclosure market back in 06, 07, those loans, the market didn't collapse or fail at least as far as I understand really because of the adjustable rate mortgages. It was more the stated income product, no, excuse me, 100% financing product. Where people have this 80 and then this 20, so they had a loan for 80 percent and then another loan for 20, so they're really getting into real estate for for nothing down. Um, but people get that confused with the adjustable rate mortgage, and whenever that's even brought up today, they're like, "Oh no, that's yeah. what sunk the market last time." Oh my God, how do you how do you explain that? Because it wasn't about the programs. The programs weren't why they still have stated income today. It was the verification process. It was the steps that we took oh. to verify that information. So and basically, people didn't really have the full like a, like, listen, investigation uh, done. A 80-20 uh, like first second loan uh -huh. for purchasing a home 100% financing isn't necessarily bad. It's only bad if the person that you're giving the loan to can't afford it. 
That's you know, that's loans are yeah, that's lo right. loans. You know, those loans were bad because people couldn't afford them. They were being written. Right. Uh, in a market like this, it just wouldn't happen, or at least it's extremely unlikely because of the huge liability given to the lender if it's not a qualified mortgage, which uh, more like a first second, I don't think would really qualify as a qualified mortgage. There's, I see. Uh, there's a like a whole there's a lot of legal uh, legal jargon related to that, but basically, um, if your loan is a QM loan or qualified mortgage loan. Um, it is given a safe harbor from lawsuits if the borrower does default. Other loans don't have those same protections, but because there's so much verification, it's easier to prove, I believe, in like a civil court that you did take the proper precaution to see that this person could afford, you know, their payment essentially with all the other housing expenses that they displayed at the time. So, go ahead. I was going to say, as, as in with that, as part of my podcast and, and the radio show and the video, however people are digesting this information, I always put in some kind of like a a warning or a protection. I wanted to ask you with regard to that, you have somebody in escrow, somebody that actually, we found a house, wrote the offer, you're the lender, uh, we're in escrow. What suggestions do you have about them changing their credit profile? Should they get that Sears card? Should they go buy that truck? Why they're in escrow? Should they go pay off credit cards or get new credit cards, lines of credit? I think it's, it's all... Um is that dangerous? Don't do it. It's, Stay away. It's really a. It's, it's, it's just dependent. You know, mm -hmm. there are instances where paying off a card will raise your credit. Uh -huh. um, you know, if it would doesn't affect in any way the money you're going to use for the down payment or the assets, then maybe it's okay. But I mean, it's not like we really repull credit after the initial pre-approval for the most part, um, because you know, we I think we can take a credit report for about sixty to ninety days and it's I still see. valid. So. I mean, even if it's 30 days, I've never been in a transaction where I've had to repull credit. You know, usually we're able to, from that beginning pre-approval, we can kind of just smooth sail from there. Uh, but I would say ask your lender uh, okay. just before you do anything like that, because so it's going to be dependent on the circumstance. So if they're going to go out and uh, finance $20,000 worth of pottery barn furniture, probably call and ask you before they do Yeah, that. 100%. Yeah. Or even or something as small as just opening a credit card. You know, really, for, for, just yeah. something that just, simple. You know, you never and know. I've even heard paying stuff off could, yeah, could it, sometimes create it, issues. Absolutely, it absolutely can lower your credit. That's so, insane. So it's just it's it's a matter of I, I would just you know you're not an expert unfortunately a consumer wouldn't be and that and that's why they're mm -hmm. a consumer not the lender. Right. So just ask the person who's done it so many times over and over again. Just ask them again. That's their job. If their job is to answer your questions, it's okay to annoy them and harass your lender because that's their job to be annoyed and harassed so they get the consumer what they want. Right. So let me ask you this: How available are you? What's the best way to contact you? Where are you online? What's I don't how's all I don't have like a, I don't have a YouTube or a website really, but mm -hmm. uh, I have an Instagram and a Facebook and a phone number. So uh, I'm at uh, my phone number is six six one two eight nine six nine one one, and um, yeah, I'm a lender and I, my I work every day, all day, uh, twenty four seven. You can call me at. Oh, so you're available blue. pretty much whenever. Yeah. That's very nice. Sure. Weekends, holidays, holidays traveling, every, yeah. whatever. Even you've days got that it. don't exist, I'm available. <laughs> you know, we can go that route. Very good. Aiden, thank you so much for coming on today. We're going to do other shows like this, folks, because people just don't know that information. And uh, what's important is you staying safe, whether you're buying a house, whether you're financing something. You definitely want to know who you're dealing with. Aiden, thank you so much for coming on, oh, thank you for and uh, we'll have you on again. Awesome. Thank Take you. care. Take care.